you know a spot. But not just a spot. The spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots? Being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. Got my Prevnar 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk. Get vaccinated. But, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Welcome. You are now listening to the Welcome to this week's episode of the PhD Podcast. It's your girl, Ebony, and I'm very excited about this week's episode. Um, before we begin, please make sure to follow me on, on Instagram at the Professional Homegirl, at the PhD Podcast, and last but not least, at Ebony Beauty. Please keep in mind that all of my guests are anonymous, so let's begin this week's show. So, to my guests, how are you? I know you're a little nervous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why are you nervous? <laughs> Um, I've never done a podcast before. Um, oh, and welcome. Yeah, so thank you for oh, giving me this opportunity. So before we dive into your story, uh, mm-hmm. what, are you, what are some misconceptions you want to clear up about being a man of the transgender community? Um, some, that's a great question. So I think some misconceptions is that first thing, to be a man looks a very certain way. Um mm-hmm. And some of the ways is like people immediately, one, people immediately feel like they can ask me um, personal questions about like my autonomy of my body, that um, like how I want my body to look. Particularly, they want to know like if I'm going to get bottom surgery or not. I'm like, one, bottom surgery doesn't make you more or less of a man right. um, than any, we call them cis, 
uh, there's this lexicon in the like LGBT community called cisgender, which just mm-hmm. means like anyone who was, you know, they were born and the doctors said they were male or female and they agreed with that. Right. Um, so a lot of times people are like, oh, okay, so if you're going to be a dude, right, you're going to get bottom surgery and that's going to make you a real man. I'm like, uh, I know guys who have, you know, autonomically, they have penises and cocks, whatever. Yeah, they have and dicks they, and they less than men. <laughs> yeah, they don't show right. up for their family. They don't show up for their kids. And you're saying they're more of a man than I am. So right. not really. So those that's one type of misconception um, that you got to have certain body parts in order to be a man. Um, and then the other misconception is we want to be a man in the same way that men right now are told to be. Um, like, you know, this archaic and outdated way of thinking that men have to be, never show express emotions. Um, they got to be hard. They got to always want to be the financial breadwinner of every relationship they have. Mm-hmm. And while, you know, I want to make my own bread um, and I want to do that to take care of my family and friends, like I'm here for like my my partners um, and my family to have their own money so that we can redistribute that to more people and that we can go on bigger and better vacations. Like, right. you bring your coin, I'll bring my coin and let's flip it together. Um, right. so ideas A of, partnership. Like, yeah. So ideas of what manhood looks like. Um, what are some challenges, challenges that you face since you transition? Um, I think I've been, well, I know I've been blessed and lucky in that. Um, so the medical hospitals and insurances can be a real bitch um period um right. industry for trans folks um i did a lot Which of i don't understand yo it's crazy when i first um tried transitioning or getting breast augmentation so you know how mm-hmm. i had a i went from like a 42 double d uh to a chest that makes me feel real secure in my body mm-hmm. um there's top surgery, which means removal of your chest. But there are some women, right, who have breasts that it hurts their back, so they get them reduced. Right. Um, before I was able, before I can get top surgery, I, I thought maybe I just want a breast reduction. And when I'm to a doctor, and they're like, nah, you're too big for this. Um, and oh, wow. I was like, excuse me? They're like, yeah, you know, you got to lose more weight. And I'm a husky, handsome individual. Mm-hmm. Um, you are but, husky handsome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got stature. I don't mind No, it. you are. Because I was looking at your picture because I saw what you were before mm-hmm. you transitioned as a young woman to where you at now as a man. And mm-hmm. you was like, I mean, you was beautiful as a woman, but you are handsome mm-hmm. as a man. So I agree with you. I think you make me all, I'm a little dark skinned too. My little blush is just coming out of my cheekbones real quick. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, go ahead, go ahead. Um, what is it? Uh, so I'm husky and handsome, yes. And But when they told me that I had to lose more weight, I was like, I started, I, you know, then I couldn't get the surgery. I got, I fell into depression um, because basically they were like, you can't, you can't, um, and we refuse to give you the service you need to feel like yourself. Um, and they blamed it on the fact that I was large. But when I did more research, my my weight was actually perfectly fine. And there are people who are even bigger than I am who could get the surgery. So there are doctors oh, who are wow. out there just misinforming people. And that's tragic. 
But you know what? I'm glad that they're doing that because if a person don't want to operate on me, I wouldn't be bothered because I'm trying to live. So maybe that's a blessing in disguise, you know? Yeah. Because they probably would have fucked me up and I'm too pretty to be fucked up. Right. Shoot. <laughs> so, when, so when did you realize that you was born in the wrong body? Um, so I actually, I think I was born in the right body. Um, I think there's those, there's that narrative of like being born in the wrong body, but I think I was born rightly so in a female's body. Um, cause it gave me all the lessons to be a better dude and to be a better man. Mm. Um, I don't think I would have been as, um, per, have as much empathy and be as aware of like, if people are feeling isolated or lonely when they're in group settings or be as sympathetic um, to folks who are more marginalized as myself, right? Like I'm able body, like I can walk in the world. Um, my health is like pretty dope. Um, some people are like are in wheelchairs or are disabled and artistic and different levels right. of disabilities. So I think the fact that I was born in that body gave me a little bit more of a better, like give me more empathy to be like, mm -hmm. oh, yo, I, I feel what you feel in terms of being like left out of the conversations that I feel like mm. belong. But I realized that this wasn't the body I was supposed to, I was meant to continue living my life in. Um, and I figured that out. One, I repressed the shit out of that because I'm Haitian. I'm first generation. Mm -hmm. Side say. Yo, now bullet. <laughs> No. <laughs> You're my second Haitian guest, but go ahead. <laughs> I really want to start a queer Caribbean party, a Caribbean party. Um, oh, that's gonna be lit. Yo, we out here, but you know, our family thinks, "What are you? What are you doing?" Um, so being Haitian American, growing up with um, Haitian immigrant parents, like there was, I didn't allow myself to think it was okay to be transgender up until my late 20s so between and I started I was even organizing as a youth around um safe spaces for queer folks for mm. police accountability um and for trans civil rights when I was 19 but like I couldn't allow myself to feel like I was trans until and be okay with that until I was 26 27. So you and realized I, it when you was what, I knew when I was eight. Oh wow! Mm -hmm. How did you know at the age of eight? Um, I like my breasts were forming, and I was like trying to hold them back. I would just sleep with my hands on them and be like, "Okay, you're gonna go back inside. What are you doing?" Oh wow! Um, I just like I wanted to walk. I mean, fashion is a big part of the Caribbean culture. And I always wanted to wear my dad's stuff and my brother's clothes. Um, and I would just sneak into their closet and they put everything on. And for a while I was like, maybe I just want to look like dressed like them. And then I was like, oh, actually I just, I want this body and I want this like to walk in the world like them. Um, but then as I got older, I was like, I want to walk, walk in the world like a man, like with masculinity that's like nurturing. Not this like foul masculinity that's too fragile um, and like hurts people, you know? That's when cis dudes or just dudes are like attracted to trans women, they get all violent. I don't wanna be that type of dude. I don't wanna be the dude that like um, beats women, right? Or 
that doesn't show up for their friends and ghosts on people when they say they like them. Like, uh, but I, yeah. So you decided you wanted to go forth with your transition in your twenties, right? Yeah, I did. So tell us about that. Um. So I decided. Um. I decided I wanted to go forward. Um, what happened was my, one of my best friends, Maria, was um, getting married and she asked me to be a bridesmaid and it was a super meaningful ask. Um, and I was like really nervous. I was like, um, so I called her up and I was like, hey, so can I wear, because I hadn't worn a dress in like years and I really didn't want to. Um, and I was really afraid, like, you know, bridesmaids, that's mm-hmm. the look for them. Um, and I was really nervous. And I was like, hey, Maria, can I wear a romper? I was, like, basically trying to give all these suggestions of things that look like a pants that would make me feel comfortable. And she was like, wait, do you just want to wear pants? I was mm-hmm. like, um, yeah. She's like, wear what makes you feel comfortable. Like, my only requirement is that you're at my wedding, you're my bridesmaid. Right. Like, I just want you there. Um and that was like a catalyst for me to be like, yeah, just keep being who you are. Um, and literally, I went to the doctors like, um, from that, it was like, keep being who you are. Your friends will love you. Um, and from there, I just I was like, literally already in the process of looking and researching into breast augmentation, which is a little different from top surgery. Breast augmentation is um, when you have uh, large breasts and you want to just reduce the sizing of it and still have it but I remember my doctor was pretty fat phobic um, and they were like you have to lose more weight in order to get the surgery and you know that had to be a blessing in disguise right because breast augmentation or reducing my breast wasn't really what right. I wanted um, what I wanted was top surgery um, and this doctor who missed gave me incorrect information because later on I would find out that you know my weight had nothing to do with me getting the surgery I was actually a fine candidate for it um I like fell into like depression um and had to do more work and it was like oh I just I want to be free (laughs) and um I went in and moved to New York and was able to get a top surgery and so it was really like a whole a whole lot of like learning about myself like being okay to like give myself what I want but the catalyst uh was being asked to be part of someone's beautiful day and wanting to be my best self and like celebrate her and celebrate myself and be reminded that to come as my right. to come as myself um and that's when so I started transitioning yeah I am um I've been taking hormones for the past two months mm-hmm. two to two and a half months now how's that going um and that's going good. really good really good um what does it look like so in two and a half months it's not like a dramatic physical appearance outwardly change um but you do see like internal changes like mood changes um from taking it you know eventually my voice will get deeper right now we have this morning time <laughs> voice um so but generally, like, it's like second puberty that happens. Um, so small incremental changes. So what this um, taking testosterone has reminded me is of patience and that 
and that things will come in time. Um, yeah. So, so I, I'm looking forward to it. Have you seen any changes so far? Even though I know you just started, but yeah, not so much changing. Like my physical appearance hasn't changed so much, which is like kind of a godsend in a way, right? Because the more gender non-conforming you are, the more that you don't pass or look um, binary to like what people know and feel comfortable with in terms of like what's supposed to look like a guy and what's supposed to look like a woman. Um, you're more likely to get harassed in the mm-hmm. street um, by, you know, fragile mm-hmm. people. Um, for my, myself, That's a good way of putting it, fragile people. Um, my face. Yeah. Fragile people. Disrespect people. Um, what I have noticed is, like, a little bit of my jawline is more defined than previous. I had, like, more of a softer, rounder shape in my mm-hmm. face before. And now my my jawline's like more mm. pronounced um, and more defined, which is really cute and really hot. <laughs> um, so the one you thing know. I love about your story is because I was on your Instagram page and I loved how honest and transparent you were about having your breasts removed. And like I told you before, like I was becoming emotional because you did something with your friends where you had your friends sign your breasts. And I guess they put like affirmations and, and really nice things in your breasts and <laughs> you had it on there for like three days. And I thought that was like a really yeah. nice way of saying goodbye to your breast before you had your surgery. Tell us about that yeah. moment. Um, so telling my story has become really, really important to me. Um, I still struggle with it um, because I'm Haitian American and like being trans and Caribbean and Haitian is not something we often see. Um, I, I wanted to like, I used to do, I did like a little bit of stand up comedy, um, early twenties and I wanted to do something like that again, but, um, I didn't make the time and I think I was still pretty scared. So to be that public, so, but I still wanted a way to like acknowledge the fact that I've had these breasts for 29 years. And as much as like, I didn't want them to be part of my future. I did want to show respects to them about what they offered me um, and how they like taught me how to move in the world. Um, yeah. So it was, I'm ridiculous <laughs> and really extra that I realized. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Um, but so what had happened was I was like, what'd be a great way of like letting my, letting myself let go of my breast um, and help it, help myself move forward and I asked my friends who just my friends are legit they're like the best people I know and they literally helped me with my confidence with like with accepting myself um and reminding myself that I'm amazing um and I just asked them and I was like hey would you sign my would you sign my breast um and they were like show me your titties right now and I was like all right excited mofos <laughs> Um, and so, um, I did it the first time with dry erase, which was not smart because the dry erase would like, you know, you're like moving and talking. And so it kind of would smudge off. And so I'd have to retrace what my friends wrote. Um, but then later on, I, uh, did it with permanent marker and just had my friends and they were just so down for it. Like the messages they wrote were really sweet. And it was like, 
be unapologetic about who you are. Like, um, there are some punny ones, like, uh, I'm gonna miss <laughs> these titties. Um, <laughs> and then I, I took photos of them, and what I actually want to end up doing is put them in my room, like, a whole, yeah. like, mini series, just to remind myself, like, hey, um, look how far you've come. Um, but I'm also still thinking about that because that might be like, yeah, I'm still thinking about mm-hmm. what to do with them. Um, but it's a really good way of just like, you know, I was someone with breasts for like right. most of my life. Um, and I didn't want to just be like, cool, bye. Um, I wanted to be like, hey, good looking out. Hey guys, the PSG podcast is sponsored by Ebony Beauty. Ebony Beauty is a beauty company that I founded and our very first product is our beautiful mink lashes that you can wear up to 25 times. Yes, 25 times with the proper care. Um, for more information, visit ebonebeauty.com. Use code PSG10 to receive some coins off at checkout. And trust me, y'all, these lashes are really beautiful. Like, I have been receiving nothing but really good reviews on them. So make sure you go to the web- website, Ebony Beauty, use the code, and let's get back to this week's episode. So I feel like you really, like, did you suffer from gender dysphoria? And the reason why I feel like it didn't really affect you as much from the outside looking in, because like you said earlier, you felt like you were, you was born to the right body and the thing that you did with your breasts and how you had to accept the fact that, you know, you had to love your breasts in order to move forward. So did you suffer from gender dysphoria, really? Yeah. Um, so gender dysphoria, I think, has like looks like a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, the more I learned about it within, within myself and as I read stories and had conversations with folks in the gender non-conforming and transgender community. Mm-hmm. Um, my gender dysphoria looked like me not being able to give myself what I needed. And um, it looked like codependency traits. It looks like putting other people's first. And particularly it looked like me not taking photos of myself. Um, like I was, I love my, I'm pretty like extroverted mm-hmm. and go out often and um, I love fashion. I love how that makes, um, how that tells a story about who you are. Um, but I always would like only go halfway to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be like, I'd be robust and um, robust and out there. But there was always this part of me that felt like, don't do too much though. You reel it in. Um, because then people would see you. And I was really afraid of people seeing me. And seeing me was like, meant like seeing me as a trans guy, as trans masculine person. Um, my gender dysphoria, um, I, it took me, like I said, like it took me a while to love my breasts, but I had really large breasts uh, prior to surgery. And it just wouldn't make me, f- um, wouldn't make me feel good in terms of like what clothes I wore. I, I had to be take a. It took me a really long time to like find clothes and to have a mindset with clothes that would kind of minimize the minimize the minimize my breasts. Um, but what? But even more so than that, gender dysphoria for me looked like having to see through myself when I looked in the mirror to see who I really was. So when people look in the mirror, when we think about like friends, Fanon, like the idea of like self, mm-hmm. and you can always see yourself the second you look in the mirror. I couldn't see myself when I looked in the mirror. I would like have to look deeply 
deeply into the mirror and kind of search. Um, so that's what it looked like for me, gender dysphoria. After the removal of my breast, um, and once I realized like that's what I wanted, I was able to look at myself in the mirror and more and more get faster with finding with finding myself and finding who I am. Um, so yeah, that's what gender dysphoria looked like for me. Like I had it, um, and it didn't look that way in the world, but like intimate in intimate spaces. Um, in the most intimate parts of myself, like before going to bed, waking up in the morning, um, seeing reflect physical reflections of myself. I had to do more work than, um, or had to do this extra layer of work or trying to see who I am. And I know recently, um, so I, I know before we talked about, um, like when you would be se- sexually involved with someone. So I can imagine that mm-hmm. your gender dysphoria came into play during those intimate times as well. Yeah, it absolutely did. Yeah. Remind me, I said that. Um, my breast were all, you know, having uh, been intimate with people, my breasts were all out there because we're all naked and everything. Um, I'm all, I'm all out here for people getting their orgasms. Um, means a lot to me. And I, I want some as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but people would be all very fond of my breast. My partners and lovers would be very fond of my breast. And for me, it, I was just there. I'd be like, they, you can enjoy them, you can play with them, whatever. But like, it's more for you. Like, I don't physically feel anything mm. when you're touching them or participating in them. Participating in them—that's a very odd word. But you see, that's how much I like disassociated with my breast. Right. Um. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, so explain the procedure of having your breast removed. Like, I'm pretty sure you was pretty nervous that day, right? Yeah, I was hella nervous. Mm-hmm. Um. Shout out to my my doctors at NYU, Legon. Um, I was really hoping it was gonna be like Grey's Anatomy, so that's why I was like, I was nervous and like I kept singing the theme song to myself to calm myself down and my nerves. Mm-hmm. Um, they called me by my correct name, um, which felt really good and felt really seen. They're working on being more trans inclusive and like just making it's not like uh, just asking for my government name. Um, on the spot so they they called me my right name and that felt good um I went up to the changing room I brought my parents um with me so Haitian pa- immigrant parents came oh, with wow. their trans son to the surgery that was her how, how does your family feel about your transition before you continue with, with the first the other question because <laughs> you're a Haitian so I know in the Haitian community like son <laughs> the, it, it's exactly that it's, it's that silence <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, it was it their relationship with me has grown and evolved um and my relationship with them has grown and evolved so they weren't like excited for at first and i wouldn't even say they're excited now but they they love me unconditionally um and that love doesn't look like seventh heaven type of love it looks right. very much like I have questions like, why would you do this to yourself? This is God's body and you don't need to make any changes to it. And why do you, and all these questions about like, how do you know? How do you know? And how are you sure? Um, So I'm constantly having to tell them like, I know who I am and I know how I want to work in the world. Um, And they're like, you know, it's dangerous to be trans. You can like not find job or work. People could kill you. And I was like, that's exactly right. And I could have been killed. Um, and I, there's a lot of struggles as being a black woman that I face. 
right? <laughs> Yo, I was like, I feel very equipped to live this life. I have 29 years of being a black woman living this world. Like that Damn. is the best amount of exp- bosses. Black women are God, our bosses, i.e. the professional homegirl. Okay. You know, you know. <laughs> so I was like, I can do this. I have, you want to see my resume? Bam, them. That's because we go through a lot, man. Go through a lot. You people don't want to hear you when you like have the answers or want to offer opinions. They're like, why are you? People say you too passionate when you just standing up for yourself. When you start advocating for others, they're like, you know what? Please be quiet. Like, or they wonder how you got into the room. Um, Don't get me started. That's why I really appreciate the work. This podcast. Um, Oh, thank you. Yeah. Like the amount I was looking through this, the titles, one, the titles are hilarious. And like the oh, <laughs> uh, my favorite one is the most recent one you did. So I'm someone who loves budgeting, who loves financial literacy. So the fi- the financial dominatrix had me. I I was like, I'm in love right now. Yeah, that was a good one, man. That was a good one. But you know what it was? I think for me, like being a black woman, like I really want us to have a platform where we can just be who we want to be who we are without mm-hmm. anybody like shutting us up. And I wanted to create a platform for those who don't feel like they have a voice because we go through so much. I mean, women go through so much shit, but black women go through. It's just, it's crazy the amount of shit that I go through on a daily basis and I have to keep it moving. Like, I can't yes. slap a bitch, you know? <laughs> yes. You're like, it, I was with um our very dear friend of mine. What we, um, this is something we do in the baby. We walk, we walk through cemeteries, just getting our life. And I'm out here in regular clothes a white woman reaches out to me and be like, excuse me, do you know where X... I, I don't work here. Bye. Like, I'm not here to show you around your life. Right. Um, it's just constant... The constant microaggressions that Black women face, that Black gender non-conforming people face, and then they ask you to do twice to three times as much as everyone else. Yo, I always say you gotta work twice as hard just to get half as far. <laughs> <laughs> like... It's just, I'm just so, like, I went to therapy today, and I'm just like, yo, I'm so yes, fucking exhausted. <laughs> yes, the fucking black women and black people take it. At, yeah, man. Therapy and being okay to saying that shit out loud. Cool. Oh, no, I'm an ab- advocate for therapy. I think that, I mean, we all have stories, and we all, I mean, I had a very traumatizing upbringing. And, like, even with your tra- transition, like, I'm pretty sure it wasn't easy. So I, I advocate for therapy, especially somebody that looks like us or that's a reflection of us. Because we just go through so much shit. And I don't want to have to get to a point where it bores over and I lose my shit. <laughs> right? That's like, when we talk about self-care, you know, a lot, I feel like we talk about self-care. And it's at the point where you're, you kind of are broken. And I like the more, if we can start talking about self-care, like in the preventative way, like self-care before you get so exhausted, you can't help yourself yeah. anymore. Too, it feels too much. So yeah, I get that before it boils over. Like we get that help. I I get my therapy. I have therapy sessions on my Thursdays, which feel really good. Yeah, you need it, man. Because this world's not built for us. So we gotta do what we gotta do to take care of ourselves, mentally, mm-hmm. physically, and emotionally. Mm-hmm. Ooh. <laughs> so what was post surgery like afterwards? Uh, well, no, walk, no. I don't think he was finished walking us through the oh. day. Yeah, uh, so the day ended, um, Haitian parents were there. My mom was full of, in her tears of like, oh my God, you're really going to do this. I'm like, 
and I'm out here skipping. I'm like, I'm really gonna do this. That's Haitian parents, right? Like, my parents love me unconditionally, and they wish I, you know, didn't do it at the same time. Like, and that's a duality that we can, I can hold and be okay with. Um, and so got into the operating room, and I had like my my surgeon who I had been like talking to, who I consulted with the first time I asked about top surgery um, and who's been like, you know, advising me throughout the process. She was there, um, Alyssa Gola, Dr. Alyssa Golas um, of NYU Lagon, amazing doctor. And All I, right. Mm-hmm. My, my guess is dropping these names. So if y'all need a doctor, don't say, don't say we didn't put y'all on. <laughs> <laughs> y'all welcome. Son. Get your- oh. Just tell them where you heard it from. <laughs> Yo, I wish I could get referral points or like a bubble tea for every, you know, reference. Listen, that. you never know. You never know. But go ahead. Um, I got onto the table. It's a four-hour procedure. Um, wow. Yeah. It's a, it's a, so you leave this. So it's long, but also short because I can leave. I left that same day. Um, one of my weird, um, one of the things that happens that, you know, you're on, um, what's that thing called? Uh, oh my god, the, the, the table. Yeah, on the table. Um, anesthesia. Sorry, I was like, what's mm. the word? Um, and they put it on and they asked me to count to ten, and I was like, ten, and I mean, one, two, three. They're like, okay, you're counting way too much, and it just like increase it to two hundred, and I was like, increase it to. <sighs> I was out. Wow. Um, and I woke up. I saw nurses like smiling and waving at me, like, hey, hey. And I was like, huh? I was groggy. And then it just went back so to sleep. Did they burn the tissue off? Or they, like, what do they oh. do exactly? So they put you under, the, you're basically dead for about, you're like as close to dead as possible. So that way you don't feel any pain and they can perform the surgery. Um, so you're like as mostly of a corpse as possible. And they basically yeah. are cutting, they cut you open. Um, so they, um, it's a cut. They make um, from the underneath your armpit um, to the middle of your chest um, to contour, and they remove the breast tissue out. So there's no way that your breast will ever regrow again. Um, and if you ever interested in having in the breastfeeding, right? There are actually trans men who are parents, and they they do chest feeding. Um, you there's some possibility that you can lactate, but it's very it's super minimal. So what it looks like for for trans men who want chest feet is just attaching the bottle um, to their chest and so still giving that like physical contact with the child. But they remove they remove the breast tissue by using a knife and cutting it all out. Um, and they do it from the very underneath your armpit and they curve it under a line onto the middle of your chest and then do another one on the other side. And, right. we'll, and they, then they stitch you back up. You have drains um, for the swelling and for the liquid. Um, it's like two small little bazookas that hang from you for like a week um, to further drainage. And after they're gone, you like every night for a week and a half to two weeks, I was taking them out. I was ref- I was um, opening it up and taking them out. Actually, my parents didn't. Let me be very clear. I did, I did it like the last two days. Um, cause you, I was physically unable to like really move. Um, it hurts. Yeah. So yeah, you were, were you in a lot of pain? Yeah. Like I took ibuprofen, which I'm really grateful for. Like I didn't have to take that. Um, 
I didn't have to, um hydro hydro oxy any oxy pills mm, right recorded um so that made me feel really good because people can get addicted to that right like a lot of people have unfortunately mm-hmm. I'm back to it um but I was my pain came when I was when I need to sleep like I had to sleep on my back and I'm not used to that um and it just felt really heavy so really sore I couldn't move my arms more than so I couldn't move my arms for about two weeks. So showering. Oh, became, wow. um, shout out to those showers, the little brushes that have like a stick and you like wash yourself. Yeah. Um, but like, did you have to wear, I think it's called a binder. Did you have to wear one too? Um, Compression vest. Um, yes. So binders you wear, you are so well informed, P.S. Just listen, I do my research. And you know what it is? I have a, um, I did an episode on a trans woman in the mm-hmm. beginning and we became friends. So she just been like educating me. And then, and I'm going to ask you a question about this later, but mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've been noticing that a lot of uh, trans women mm-hmm. have been getting killed. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these women look like me, like the people, black women. So I think that I've been like really like deeply rooted into it. Cause I'm just like, it's, it's really fucking disgusting what they do into the transgender community. Because at the end of the day, Everyone is still a person, you know? Mm. So I try to do my research as much as possible because I really want to educate people on this. That's fucking lit. That's that's super necessary because we are, like, the folks who... Trans women, trans guys, um, we are, like, always constantly advocating for ourselves and sometimes it just, it just doesn't work for us to always be the people talking. Um, mm-hmm. So having other people advocate for our behalf is also super necessary. It's, like, talking to people who look like each other so you know how different when you're like in an argument or like making a point like you need certain people to make it to make it on your behalf because it it lands differently so it was just mm-hmm. like as you were saying like I was like oh wow you you know the difference between a binder and a compression vest or your accent you know the words like you know it's like because this is our life like right um yeah um so binders I used to wear binders um uh before I had my surgery Binders minimize um, the appearance of your breasts. And also people wear binders who are interested in um, cosplay, like dressing up like particular anime characters. So that was really interesting. And I wore a compression vest that was much tighter um, and had a Velcro middle in it. Um, and every night I'd wrap that around, my dad would wrap it around me because I couldn't, it'd be, too t- it'd be too much work to put my arms around myself. Um, and it compress my vest so that more of the liquid that needed to be drained out of my body could come out mm. and that was tight and sleeping with that shit on is challenging it's like sleeping with a bustier um that sounds super tight yeah. i'm probably mad uncomfortable mm-hmm. especially the first two weeks man i and as after the first two weeks i felt better because i was getting more stronger um my body was healing but the first two weeks was was really challenging. Yeah, I went from. So how are you? Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I went from being able to move to like not being able to do any, not being able to take care of myself. Mm. So how do you feel now? I feel happy, like in inner peace. Mm. Inner peace. Physically, I can, I do stretches now every morning. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. So. And I've always used to like, you know, posture is good for me. And I 
posture. I love having a great good posture, and I would could I can touch my toes. I'm pretty flexible, but I couldn't after surgery or even a month after surgery raise my hand all the way. Like I couldn't say hi, I'm present, and like wave my hand all up, wave my hand up in the air. But now I can. Um, mm-hmm. so I have most mobility back in my arms and stretches, but it gets tight from time to time. Um, so I stretch like every day, first thing in the morning, at night, during the day. Um, yeah, but I feel really good. I feel like. No, that's good. Um, one of the documentaries that my friend told me to watch is Paris is Burning. And. I watched that shit like several times and I was like beyond inspired. And I think I was more inspired by the legacy that each person left behind. Mm-hmm. Um, how has Paris's burning inspired you? Paris's burning. I remember it's such a, it's such a good documentary. It's man. Such a great documentary. <laughs> there hasn't been documentaries They've like that since um, there's been like, so, there've been similar ones, but in terms of having like actual um, trans people and like, the LGBTQIA community represented and like talking about the impact of homelessness, of wall culture, of gentrification, um, and police brutality and sex work, like living life, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's we still need more representation of we still need more representation and out there regarding that. Um, I first saw it when I was. 20 um and what's interesting and great is that that was the movie um that influenced the next documentary that was done by this organization this queer youth organization called fierce that was a part of um and it advocated it helped like young queer folks advocate for safe spaces um and particularly they were fighting for like a homeless shelter in new york city um homelessness really affects queer kids um, and LGBTQ youth, the most homeless, the largest homeless pop- population is is LGBTQ youth and youth of color. Mm. Um, Paris is burning, like, it was a place where I got to see, like, people like myself. Um, mm-hmm. I got to see the ball culture and then, like, participate it, like, in terms of, we had a ball on the pier um, in New York City. Um before like Hurricane Sandy like wiped out most of the pier. Um, and just seeing that like, and it would be something I do when we go down to the pier, I like even today, like saying bye takes me about 30 minutes because I'm so used to going up to every single person and having a conversation before we can leave. Um, mm. And it was just that, it was just like, make sure you're present as possible. That's what Paris Burden, um impacted me the most it was like make sure the people you love and care about know that you see them um and make sure you live loudly as like loud as fuck um and it's not gonna be always cute or easy especially most of them not gonna be cute or easy but there's this beauty right and knowing that like the community that you're building is one who chooses you back Mm -hmm. yeah that is true uh, what are your thoughts about the killings in the trans community? State violence and interpersonal violence is bullshit. Um, so it's really tragic. Super fucking tragic. Um, yeah. more, 
I can't remember his last name, but um, there was a cisgender dude who was in love, and you know, he got bullied. Maurice, um, R.I.P. Maurice. Oh yes. He got bullied um, by other black men for being in love publicly and openly and proudly, um, loving uh, his trans uh, uh, his girlfriend who was tra- was a trans woman, who is a trans mm-hmm. woman, and he committed suicide because of that bullying. Uh, trans women walk outside, gender non-conforming and trans feminine women walk outside and they can't feel safe um, in everyday spaces. And it makes no, it makes like systematic sense, like, right? Like the U.S. and internationally, they fear women and they demonize women and they try and they want to abuse women so that they can't get any power, right? Um, mm-hmm. Everything from voting rights to not holding men accountable when they are sexually assaulting women in workspaces and outside of workspaces. Um, yeah, that's so true that you made that point because, I mean, I'm a black woman. I don't even feel safe. So I can just imagine what a trans woman feels like because we are living in scary times. Yeah. And we've been, but this is just, it's just a heightened awareness, right? Right. Um, so I, I just feel really sad and really angry and I just, I also convert that energy, that anger and that anger and that sadness into like actual Bible work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's one of the reasons that has influenced the work that I do with the queer and trans thrift and social, because we need more spaces where trans women can feel, can feel safe to like do everyday normal things like right. shop without being misgendered or being seemed like, be given a side eye. Um, you know, to be like, can I use a restroom over here without being harassed? Right. Um, yeah. Cause I can't talk to the trans woman experience. Like I can talk to being about well, have been a black woman. Dude, but I know these, I know my, I know trans women can speak for themselves and, but I know I can like yeah. make sure that people will listen, um, when I have the space to like uplift them, um, and be like, yo. Shut up. Talk. No, what you're saying is facts. And I think that it's important that we keep like reiterating that same message, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is an advice you would give to one of our listeners that's in the process of transitioning? Be patient and compassionate with yourself. Word, compassion. Yeah. I know we can be really critical. And there's this idea of like, you want to have this the right body. And there's a lot of influence and like once you trans while while you're transitioning, it's not gonna be immediate. You're not gonna see the you're gonna feel amazing. One. Like so go if you're thinking about it, go for it. Um right. that's it. If you think about it, go for it. But compassion in terms of there's no right body in terms of looking like a woman or a man, right? Like you don't have to be skinny to be beautiful and attractive. Um like <laughs> Be yourself and like love the body that you have. Um, if you don't pass, if you know you're a trans woman, you have and you sport a beard, or if you're gender non-conforming, you sport a beard. Fucking sport that beard, yo. Um, if you're mm-hmm. a shorter trans dude, like if you're like five two and you don't, you know, you kind of be like, damn, I wish I was taller because men are generally like five seven, five eight, whatever. Like fuck it, you're a shorter dude and you're a fucking fine ass short dude. You know we can do with that shit, right? Like, just be compassionate with yourself and don't compare your body to someone else's 
or even to other trans people's bodies. Because um, everybody's experience is different. Yeah. Um, last but not least, what are some things that you want to leave the listeners on how we as a people can be more supportive of the trans community? Give them, I would, I would say to listeners, to folks, one, you listen to this, you listening to this podcast is a step in the right direction. And like, okay. you know, like highlight, high five, fucking dab, do the, do a fucking dance. Like you on it. Like you're already educating yourself. You're on it. So step one, done. Step two, start asking people for their pronouns. And mm, it's, which is important. Which is super important. And then it's, it can be super casual. You don't have to be like, oh my God, I've never asked. And so I've been fucking up. Like, no, nah, just take a deep breath. Don't make it about you. Just ask them for people's pronouns. Even if you think they're straight, like actually start acting straight people because your straightness and your queerness has nothing to do with your pronouns. Just start asking mm-hmm. people. And I say ask people that to normalize it so that when you have your first coworker who's a trans person, none of them telling you your pronouns, no big deal. You're like, oh, I've been known. Like, what do you use? She, her, they, Z. Even if you don't get it, just, or you're like, why do you use they? People use they because they, for two reasons, right? Or in multiple, they sometimes feel they resonate with both uh, masculinity and feminine energy. And sometimes they feel like neither. So they use they. Don't give them hassle and don't be like, but just choose one. Nah, let them be. Um. And I think the other part for your listeners is like, when we talk about representation, we think about representation just in the media. We think like, oh, only celebrities should like, self-expression should be kept, should be left to celebrities. And that makes sense. If I see a drunk, if I see Laverne Cox or Janet Mock, like, all right, cool, they're celebrities. Like, they can do that. No, it shouldn't be just them. Like, your coworkers are probably, I don't know, but I... I'm like one of the first coworkers to the people I work with who's trans and mm-hmm. and out. Um, and they're like, their age is between 19 and 25. And I'm the first mm. trans person they've met and they work with them. Like you work with trans people, y'all. Um, and, you know, <laughs> we're not just like people on the television telling you how to style yourself. Um, we're actually people who do administrative work, who are program managers, who are nurses, um, who are massage therapists, who are filmmakers, um, who are consultants. You know, like, just be like, yo, what's up? What's your pronouns? Um, and just, you know, relax and just have fun with us. Like, we're just like, we have very good people. Yeah, we're good people. We're chill. Right. Yeah, but just access to our pronouns and like let's start from there. Well, I think this was an amazing episode. Um, so I, I have really a little story to, sh- huh? I I really dig this episode. <laughs> so I have a little story to share. You're like the third person that I interviewed for this story, and I must say I was a little nervous because my last two experiences were just horrible, and I was just like, damn, like why are they being so damn mean to me? <laughs> so I just want to say. Thing. And they were just so, they were nasty. Like, I mean, the first person literally, like, backed out of the interview right before I was about to send him the link. And uh, I guess he, yeah, and I guess he felt like I was trying to, like, 
make a mockery of his like story. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, if anybody listens to any of the episodes I've done, like these I... episodes are very huh? No, it doesn't sound like that's that's your I mean, I'm sorry he felt that way. Like I, I hope he feels like better and he knows that it wasn't your intention. Like at um... all. It wasn't my intention at all. And then the second person I didn't like how he was moving because he was light-skinned with pretty eyes. And <laughs> I don't know. Like, it was just like, you know, me being a dark-skinned woman, like, I try to give everybody a, a chance to share their story, but I just didn't feel right sh- putting his story out there when he felt like he was able to get by because of what he, or how he looked. Because mm. a light skin was a better thing. And I just couldn't let that rock. No. <laughs> so, we, no, there's light skin privilege, colorism, like, it affects how we move. Like as much as passing does as well, so I get that. It's really big in the community. I mean, I know it's big in our community because we deal. We've been dealing with it since we were young. But yeah. I'm in the in the trans community, like being light skinned I mean, the fairer you, it's not. Even, I think it's more like the intersectionalities. Like the fairer you are, the more white passing you are, the easier it is to navigate. Um, the easier it is to navigate the world, um, the world and the passing and. You're not gonna be treated uh, a light skinned trans woman, a light skinned trans dude. Like, especially if you pass, you're gonna look like a white trans. I mean, you're gonna look like a white cisgender person. Um, right. So yeah, I get that. Yeah. So I didn't like that. So I want to say thank you so much for just like being open, and being honest, and I, I feel like you had fun. Like it was cool. It was cool. <laughs> it was cool. I don't. It's also cool to get to like uh, to say my story and hope that my story like not really like only inspires people, but like people can just feel seen, like they're not alone in what they're going mm-hmm. through. There's 1.4 billion trans adults um, that's been uh, noted by the census, which means there's even more than that. Um, right. So you know we out here and we just need to like see each other in, in multiple different spaces. So. I'm here for like telling my story and hoping that people know like they ain't alone and we can kiki and like have these like queer Caribbean dinner parties and parties anytime, yo. Well, if you want to come to my guest queer Caribbean parties or you have any questions, comments, concerns, remarks, please email me at hello at the professional homegirl.com. You have been listening to the PAC podcast. And until next time, y'all. Later. <laughs> Laters. <laughs> got my Prevnar 20 shot it's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine for us wise folks it helps protect I'm 19 strong and asthmatic and at higher risk get vaccinated but but nothing when grandma speaks grandson listens 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma diabetes or chronic heart disease or 65 plus you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar 20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar 20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. 
lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.